0: This is a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And you may follow along on the screens or in the Pew Bibles on page 844. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, while traveling, came near him and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put on his, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: good feeling when you're able to find people who like to play the kinds of things you like to play. That's one thing that helps to make friends playing together. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling. You're growing inside and when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I
2: will, too. Mr. Rogers, how many of you into that song fresh again today. You know, I never thought about it, but there really is great theology in that song. There's joy in the goodbye. There's peace in the time that we're apart. And there'll be rejoice when we're back together again, sharing stories and, and, and loving one another. This is why we've been using a uh, little bit of uh, Mr. Rogers to color this series called, Please Won't You Be a Neighbor?, What we've been doing for the last four weeks, and this is the conclusion of it today, you're just on time. Welcome, by the way, to all of our Thanksgiving refugees from college. Uh, So good to have you here. It's been nice to meet some of you on the way in the door. But the last four Sundays, we've been exploring together the story of the good neighbor in Luke chapter 10 and walking step-by-step on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho to see how Jesus invites us to love the people around us. In other words, won't you please be a neighbor? Let me pray as we open up God's Word fresh today. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Word. Thank you for this ancient story that Jesus gave in response to someone who came to Him asking a good question, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you spoke out these words, and they taught Him, they were recorded, and in the many centuries since then, believers have been seeking these words again, working through them to know how can we be a good. I pray that you would do that which you do today. Encourage our hearts to love those around us in a way that glorifies you. Thank you again for all of us gathered here in community this morning. Lord, I pray that through this hour we spend together, that our friendship with each other and you would grow deeper as we Continue, continue to encourage each other in faith and in good work. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this um, parable begins with a question, and it's so great when you track how Jesus answers. It begins with a lawyer, a pretty smart guy, coming up to Jesus saying, Jesus, what do I need to do in order to eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus, in a very long about way, answer that question, but in a different way, okay? So first, they're going to have some about, well, what do you read in the book of the law? And the guy seems to know the book answer right. He'd he, he got it. He must have been listening. He's like, oh, that sounds good. Just do that, and you'll be all right. Jesus starts to walk away, the man's like, wait, 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 wait. Who's my neighbor? Oh, yes. And then he begins to a big story, which concludes with this question, Jesus answering the man, saying, Which one of these, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, the good neighbor, was a neighbor? Of course, the lawyer has to go, well, yeah, clearly was the guy that took care of the man that was hurt. Yes, he says, now go and do likewise. But you notice that he added a new element to that question, because a man said, what do I need to do? And Jesus responded, well, who are you? Who are you? Are you a good neighbor? Are you someone who loves the people around you? See, before you can get to the answer of, what do I need to do? We have to answer the question first of, who are you? Who are you in Christ? You see, Jesus is so keen here on this idea that eternal life, this gift of eternal life, should fundamentally change our identity, who we are, before it starts to rearrange what we do. Because what we do comes of that renewed identity. Eternal life changes our perspective. It changes our values. It changes the purpose in which we live. We answer that question first who are we? That starts to feed the question what do we do? So, who are you? Redeemed in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for that gift of eternal life. And from that, we go out to become good neighbors. How do we do that? Well, for that answer, how do we love our neighbors? We have to look back again at the parable. Please, won't you be a neighbor? As we look again at Luke chapter 10, this is a practical way. He gives a story here. Oh, you want to know how to love your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. And we get along with it. We have been doing this four weeks, and I'll walk you through very quickly to catch up where we are. See, in the parable, as it begins, there's a man who's walking on a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and surprise, no surprise, he gets attacked and robbed and beaten and stripped, and he's laying there half dead on the side of the road. A priest and a Levite walk by, but pay no mind to him. They've got better things to do. He's as good as dead anyway. But there's a Samaritan, ah, the Samaritan. When he journeyed to where the man was, he stopped and paid attention. There was a different way that the Samaritan was going about his day. The priest and the Levite explained that they were going by chance, just wandering by. But the Samaritan journeyed. He walked his day with an intentionality. He went with a special purpose in his day, and saw an opportunity there with a man who was laying on the side of the road. Samaritan's journey, good neighbors. Journey. We walk with intentionality. We see value in others that maybe other people don't see. And we do crazy things like open our home and bring babies in and let them live with us because we see value in anyone, even especially the broken. So I shared with you, and you can hear these teachings online. We began with number one being a companion, being a companion, sharing the road with people around you, walking with intentionality. What's one way we can do that? We can smile we can show some joy because we live in a world that we have so much opportunity and so many riches, there sometimes is not a lot of joy. Look around the next time you're out in public or at school or in your neighborhood, job, the train, look to see how many people seem joyful, not many. So we go out as good neighbors, first of all, expressing the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So we go out a companion, we might smile, We have this joy in us, and we might even ask people questions like, Hey, how are you? How are you doing today? Okay, we all ask those questions, but good neighbors listen for the answer. Ah, I'm doing pretty good. Did you hear that? Ah, I'm doing pretty good. There's more there. Being a companion means joy of the Lord, asking questions, listening for answers, listening for opportunities to go the next level which would be having compassion. We see that in the Samaritan when he goes to the man and he begins to work on him. He begins to help him. It says he has compassion for him. The man has compassion. Compassion we express in week two is more than a feeling. Compassion is an action. It enters into someone's suffering. It says here, let me walk with you. Let me suffer along with you. Let me take some of that burden to help you in your time. This is what it means to have compassion, to suffer with or enter into someone's struggle. And again, you can hear these teachings online. Compassion, I say, costs you. It might cost you money. It might cost you time. And it might be risky because when we show compassion to people, it doesn't mean a happy ending to their story. Compassion is risky. I have some friends... Um, and they have a special place they like to go for a breakfast date. They go to the same bagel shop. I don't know if, does anyone here have a, a breakfast date place he maybe goes sometimes? Special breakfast place, yeah. And so they would go there often. And one day they would a guy who was behind the counter, helps them pretty often. His glasses were taped up more than, like, enough. I don't know how many times taped up glasses is too much, but they were very taped up. To the point where they were just, you know, you could tell, they were really a mess. They were cracking hands. And so they just nicely asked him. He's been... They've been, he's been helping them for weeks and months, like, um, oh, did you drop the did you drop the glasses? And he's, no, they're just super old, he said. Oh, they're super old. And they cracked, and I just, you know, I haven't had the time or the money to be able to go and get them fixed. After all that, so my friends decided to do something. They had compassion. They wanted to enter into that suffering with them. They found an optometrist near the, near the bagel place, made an arrangement to pay for his appointment, made to pay for his glasses, make sure he gets you know this level frames and this level lenses and, and presented him with that opportunity. The man went and got new glasses. It's pretty amazing. He was overwhelmed as he went back to say thank you for the new glasses. This is what compassion does. Let me bring some healing, to help you. This led to step three, which is a changer. Again, as Jesus said, we're to live out the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. That's baseline, that's companioning, that's having compassion. We're also called as believers to participate in the Great Commission, sharing Christ, inviting people into the kingdom. I know that's scary for some of us, but it's actually quite natural. When you're kind to people, when you have compassion, it naturally gives you opportunities to share Christ. And we had that teaching last week. We talked about ministering to people. The gospel is holistic. holistic. As we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and body, we also love people around us, heart, mind, soul, and body. We might minister to a need, but recognizing their greatest need is just like mine. It's spiritual. They need to know Christ. They need to hear about you. Ways that we can be sharing Christ with friends and neighbors. That's actually not that scary. One of the ways is very simple. You have a friend that's in need, or someone that you hear that's in need. Instead of saying, "Oh, I'll I'll pray for you," and then you kind of passively walk off, you might offer, "Hey, can I can I pray with you?" Sounds like you have a real need. Can we pray right now? It's risky. Might make you nervous. I get a special when I do this with people in kind of public. But I will tell you this, God works well and huge in the risky prayers. When we break that boundary, we say, you know, I just know God wants to help you in this. Let me pray for you in Jesus' name. You will find God moves in significant ways. That's one way we can share Christ. There's another, another way that we naturally have an opportunity to share Christ. My friends go back to the bagel shop. There's the guy, brand new pair of glasses. He's so thankful, of course. Thank you guys so much. I mean, it was so nice of you. I know, and they were just, you know, kind of humbly sort of waving it off. We're so thankful to see you. It's great. You do such a great job. Good job, buddy. And then he asked him this question. Why? Why'd you do it? Ah, because there's a love that God has given us in Christ. And from that, we bless. This is one way that we can be sharing Christ. Step four today, our final step here, is inviting into community. What is the role of the church in helping all of us do the work we're called to do as believers in Christ and love the neighbors around us? What is the role of the church? When I say that, let me redefine for you just a moment what I mean by church. I don't mean physical building. I mean the community community the shared value, the shared mission, the love and friendship that you feel when you come into this building. And even if you haven't been here for a year or months and you come in and you feel warmly greeted, we pray for that. That's the community. The building is an asset of the church, but it is not the church. The building might not be here next year. We'd still meet, we'd still have church because we share a mission, we share values, we share love for one another. This is the church. When I'm talking about community, the church, I mean that. Now, I get this idea from the parable in verse 34 and 35, that the the good Samaritan, the good neighbor, poured oil and wine on the man, took him on his own animal, I'll give you a ride, and brought him to an inn, and there he took care of him, brought him to an inn. Now, forget for a second your four-star resort. The, uh, the, the Travelocity reviews on this might not have been relevant. What he's talking about here is more like a hostel. Maybe some of you stayed in one. More of a hostel than a luxury hotel where he got to put his feet up by the pool and, you know, got served, you know, beverages with fancy flags on them. It's not that. It's a hostel. And the hostel was a place where the weary and weak could go and find and rest. But they'd also find community. See, when you stayed in a hostel in the first century, you would be expected to live with the people who are there for the amount of time that you stay. You might be called to help with the dishes after the meal or go out and you know shelter the hay for the animals, because yours is out there too. And so it's communal living, even for a temporary time. This is the inn that the man brought the injured one to to find to continue his healing. Let me say, first of all, I think sometimes we just get this sequence wrong. I've done it too. I had tend to think if I'm nice to people and then I'm kind to people, that there might be an opportunity to invite them to church. You think that? But we miss that step, first of all, of praying with, of sharing Christ with them. Actually, that makes the invitation to the church community so much richer because they're like, oh, is this where you're getting that? Feeling of love from—is this where you're getting that joy? Is this what I see about you? Yeah, this is where I get it from. When I hang out with my friends every week and we worship, we learn from the Word and we pray together. This is where we're getting it from. And you're invited into this community. We we welcome you here. It's a place of hospitality and nurture. That's what the church is. Let me unpack three other ways it's lived out. See, the church is really a healing community. It's a healing community. Again, you see that as the man was brought to the inn and there he was taken care of. He was taken care of. This church, the church, is a healing community. We all should be humble in this because we're all still in recovery. We're all learning to live out of a new identity. We're all learning to live out of a righteousness given to us in Christ and, and learning to reject the old self as we walk the new. We're all here humble. We're all here in recovery because we're all learning together right now, right this second, to live out of new life. We're all learning right now to embrace the grace that God has poured out in Christ. I'm still working on it, and I know you are as well. Some of us may be further in our walk. Others may be on, on not solid ground, but we're all here together, healing together. We're all here together. Let me show you. This lives out in another place of Scripture. This is Acts chapter 9, the story of Saul. Saul was a man he hated Christians, hated him so much that he was running around the countryside looking to round them up and persecute them. While he was on his way, he uh, was blinded by an encounter with the Lord, completely blinded and flopped down, and he was in real trouble. They carried him to the next town, to Damascus, where he was there. Meanwhile, in the church in Damascus, the Holy Spirit speaks to one of the believers and says, "Hey, will you go there's going to be a certain guy Saul and he's blind. Will you go and give him healing in Jesus name?" Well, Ananias, who's the man that the Holy Spirit spoke to, said, "There's no way I'm going to do that. Do you know that guy? He's trying to kill us." The Holy Spirit says it again, "How about you go to that certain street, go see that certain guy and offer him healing in Jesus' name. Ananias does it. He journeys to the place where Paul is, places his hands upon him. No evidence he'd ever done this before. Praise in Jesus' name. They said something like, scales fell off the guy's eye. Suddenly, Saul is healed and praising God. Was well, the story goes, brought to the community, to the church there in Damascus where he continued to heal, and for the time he was with them, grew in his knowledge and understanding together with the believers there. And they received him as a brother. And you can see in this story in Acts chapter 9 that while he continued to live among them there in Damascus, he began to get his voice. Last paragraph on the bottom says, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, doing outreach, saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And everyone who heard him were amazed because they're like, wait, wasn't that the guy that was just trying to kill all of us? Now he's changed. Saul got his voice there, which leads me to our second part, the church as a serving community. The church as a serving community. See, it's in the church that we can find the unique gifting and the unique strengths and passions that God has given each one of us to be able to serve together in the mission of the church just like in the hostel. Hey, you're good at doing dishes? You got some, you want to go shovel some hay? Let's do it. We're all called because we all have gifts to share. And when we use them here in the space of the church, the mission is forwarded together. It's really great. This is one area I'm really passionate about. Many of you might know that I came to Christ a little bit later in life. Some of you might know that I came to Christ on a Friday evening. It was 9.22 p.m., But within 24 hours, I was being embraced in a church community, friends that were actually planning to do like a dinner theater to reach out to more people. And I was so struck by it. I was like, man, I haven't even done this for like 24 hours and I'm already helping and finding friends. And it was really great. One of the reasons that I serve today as a pastor, because the church is a serving community. We're all given gifts and voice to be able to contribute to the mission. This opens up the scriptures, which talk often about this, developing our spiritual gifts, encouraging one another. We see it in Hebrews 10, verses 24, 25, said let us consider, let's think about how to provoke, encourage, spur each other on to deeper love and good deeds. Let us all consider that. Hmm, how can we spur each other on to deeper love and good deeds? Not neglecting to meet, one with one, meet together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, when we start to imagine this idea of the church as a serving community, it opens up all the rest of the Scripture that calls us to continue to grow in fellowship and continue to develop in maturity because we all have a gift to share to continue the mission of the church together. But you notice that in the last section there, all the more as you see this big day approaching. This leads me to my third point about the church. The church is a waiting community. The church is a waiting community. Ah, it's such a good feeling when we say goodbye. There's peace while we're separated. One day, friends, Jesus, he's going to come back. And I know most of us don't think about it because it seems like that's C.S. Lewis, the author, said this some time ago. He said, the believers who do the most here are the ones that think more about the next world. There's something very motivating when we start to give ourselves an eternal mindset that fits in God's bigger story that one day Jesus will return. And it's close. I know it's like, wait, haven't we been waiting 2,000 years? But it really is close. Could be any time. When we live with this heavenly mindset with an eye towards the next world, we do more here because we're passionate about life here and in the next. In fact, he went on to say that he was worried back then, and this is about 50, 60 years ago, that the church was losing its passion for the next world and therefore was becoming less oriented to serving and loving others. You see this in the parable, of course. In Luke chapter 10 where it says, the good neighbor put him on his animal, took him to an inn, took good care of him there. He continued healing. But the next day, he took out two days' wage, paid it to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of this guy, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Who's the good neighbor? Jesus is. Jesus is the one who paid it all. He paid for us to be here. He pays for everything because he pays the greatest penalty that we could never pay back, which is the price for our sins. He paid it. He paid it all. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to pay whatever else is due. See, in the parable, Christ is a good neighbor. Jesus said, I'm going to build a house for you. And when it's done, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you with me. We're going to live together in a glory that's never going to end. I'll be back. So, what do we need to do? What do we need to do while we're waiting? Ah, but remember, before we answer that question of do, we have to answer the question of who. Who are we? Who are we? Are we someone who has received the gift of that love in Christ that He's offering so abundantly? Have we accepted that grace? Are we willing to serve others? Are we willing to be a good neighbor to set our lives on the promises of Scripture? And to be a a love beacon to those around us. To love the Lord our God with everything we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. And who? Who are we being called to serve? How about start with the ones that are around you every single day? In other words, won't you please be a neighbor? Every week in this series, I have been uh, concluding with a prayer that has been building up. I've been praying it over you. But this morning, I want to invite you, if it's something that you would like to have the Lord grow in you, a passion to be a good neighbor, to love those around you, because there's a love that has filled you. If you're here this morning and you want to join me in that prayer, I'm going to put it up on the screen. You don't have to say it if you don't want to, but if you feel it, if you really feel God calling you to be filled more with his love, to love neighbors, I'll invite you to share it with me. Maybe even want to stand to say, I'm in, I'm in. And then we'll respond in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our constant companion in this road we travel. And when we were still sinners, dead in our sins and transgressions, you drew near. You have compassion for us. Enter into our suffering You take away our sin. You offer healing to our hearts, minds, souls, and bodies. You are our rescuer and our redeemer. Thank you for sharing the gift with the inheritance of eternal life. Help us to be companions to others as we journey. Let us show compassion where we see need and make us willing to share Christ with others. And may the doors of our church be wide open to new friends. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's stand and sing together.